Welcome to Beautiful Humans, the social change cast, where behavior analysis and social justice collide. Join us as we aim to move the needle on personal and social change by tapping into the beautiful humans inside of all of us. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, or whatever medium you prefer to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at Beautiful Humans Change and on Facebook at Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, go to www.patreon.com slash beautifulhumans to become a Patreon. Welcome back, beautiful humans. It's Denisha. And this is Erin. It's been such a long time since we were in the same room. Virtual room. <laughs> Virtual Hangouts room, Google Meets room. Yeah. You went solo on the last one? I did for the first time. Because life, I'm excited to listen to that one. Life was life in. I missed you, friend. I know, I missed you too. Uh, Kids, I've been up to (laughs) kids. (laughs) Um, It was great. You know, we had planned to take a month off and then everything kind of went crazy. But kids still happened. And so um, it was good. They were great. It was good to spend time with them. But yeah. I'm excited to be back. And I would say well rested. But if anything, it just feels like this massive hangover <laughs> that I've now like had five days and it's still like just tired, drained. But how about you? Um, I've been good. I think that where I'm like, okay, what's my new normal with COVID? I haven't really gotten out of the house that much, but I did go to a drive-through movie theater last week, which was like a big deal for me. Obviously I was in my car, so it's not the same, but um, no, just trying to figure out like, how do I still like get out of the house just a little bit? So that has been going on with me and just, you know, working and hanging out on my back in my backyard. The new normal with COVID sounds miserable. <laughs> like <I can't, laughs> ah, yeah. yeah. And that's me trying to figure out how not to make it miserable because we're going to be here for a while. We're going to be here for a long time. So, you know, it seems like it at least, um, especially I'm in Maryland. I was feeling really good about everything in terms of numbers and like, when does this at least look a little better for us? And then this weekend we got a big whammy with, you know, 700 new cases in one day. And so once again, it's like, all right, so I'll be at home. Um, <laughs> yes, Florida. Well, Florida is up holding their standard like their reputation, I guess. And now become like standard of no standard. <laughs> right. The, the sorry standard of like, yes, the reputation, but it's just, I, I don't know. Just stay home. That's, I don't know, but I'm like, we have a, we have a, like a community pool at like the apartment complex. that we live in literally nobody ever goes to it and you have to stay like six feet away. They shut down all the chairs. So you just come and like, so I'll go out there and I'll read. That's like my, um, you got to get out. You have to get out of the house. It's not good for like, seriously, like actual mental health, vitamin D, your body needs vitamin D. <laughs> yes. So. I have felt so much better ever since it started getting warm outside <laughs> and I can sit out on my back um, deck. So I agree. Um, it helps to get some sunlight. Um, and there's research on that. So, mm-hmm. but 
Yeah. So tonight's show, we uh, prepared a beautiful little piece that uh, was personal, but also I think very useful for people in our fields and just in general for uh, folks who hold privilege. And tonight we're we're talking about being part of this movement that we're currently in. So specifically non-Black folks, uh, also white folks who have uh, tried to tap in to the movement. We're talking about how do you go from temporary interest to actually sustaining, you know? Uh, so we were joined by the Shades of ABA podcast, which is cool. What do you think about the show, Aaron? It was great. I had seriously been waiting for that. I know we had reached out to them back when, well, I think like right when they started and you know, you know them anyway. So, um, but uh, finally we're able to merge together and um, it was, it's a really good conversation. There were so many good points um, that were made and I really hope people listen and take a lot of that to heart. Yes. Yes. Well, with that said, roll it. Welcome back, beautiful humans. We're joined tonight with the Shades of ABA podcast. Hey, guys. How are you guys doing tonight? Very excited about this. We've been looking forward to this. I know there's uh, been a couple weeks where we've been having this uh, ready and, and planning this. So I'm super excited about the conversation, even though it was like rewritten last night. I think there was like a... <laughs> 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 the whole show got rewritten last night. Um, but we've been super excited about this, uh, you know, and, and I really want to have a good in-depth conversation. We'll introduce the topic in a little bit, but I think what we want to have you all do is introduce yourselves first and your show. I'm really excited to hear more about that. Yeah, so I can go first. Um, my name is Adrian Bradley, and I am a BCBA in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I've been in the field of ABA for about going on five years. Uh, I work primarily with kids who have autism. However, I have some other special interests that I like to do clinically, um, as well as I am the president of Black Applied Behavior Analysts Incorporated, and then the co-host for the Shades of ABA podcast. And a little bit about our podcast, we mainly focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion within the ABA field across different ways. So we want to make sure we're highlighting how ABA is used differently within the field so looking to touch on things like gerontology and obm and climate change and things like that we also touch on things about autism and kind of the parent support that they get and then all of the speakers and topics that we touch on are diverse in race sexuality gender geographical location etc but we really just want to highlight some of the discrepancies and barriers in the field around that and give give people a podcast that is solely devoted to that. When did you all start? Our first episode was in March. And then we went through a hosting change and we took a break ourselves too. Um, so we get the month off that was very well needed, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, we it's not, we're babies in the podcast game. Right there with you. It's all good. Y'all just did a show with Linda LeBlanc and Tyra Sello for babies in the podcast game. Y'all came out swinging, huh? Hard. Real. 
hard. I was, I'm not gonna lie, I was super jealous when I saw that too. <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing episode though. Like, um, we, it was an episode we just came out with on Monday and like re-listening to it was so great. Um, and they are three lovely ladies, Linda LeBlanc, Tyra Fellers, and Shalai Lai. Um, I think it, anyone could benefit from listening to that episode. So, but we also have Tiana Moore here who also helped me co-host as well. So let's, let's segue. <laughs> okay, so hey, I am Tiana Moore as Adrienne has stated. I am a BCBA originally from Michigan, now residing in good old Grand Prairie, Texas, nice and hot. <laughs> so um, where I work um, in the home settings, uh, providing um, super, supervision and BCBA duties to um, children mostly that are on the spectrum. Um, I am also the co-host for Shades of ABA and the Vice President of um, Black Applied Behavior Analysts Incorporated, uh, where, you know, we're working really hard on making sure that uh, our, our, um, our people have a, have a voice and have a platform and have some resources to, uh, to come into contact with within this field because we're not always very welcome to those resources or having the access. So that is one of the, what we're really working for, working towards within um, BABA, basically. So every now and again, it's cool when we have people on the show that we know. Um, and so I will say that I know both uh, Adrian and Tiana also from Baba, we um, I am also on the board. Um, I serve as the partnerships and affiliate liaison, so I've been privileged to get to know them over the past uh, what is it? Has it been a year with y'all with everyone yet? Uh, not quite, almost, almost, almost. yeah. So, can I ask a, a quick question because I also want people to know about Baba and um. And like their membership options have has that like new year i went to the like the town hall i think it was in june has the new year for like membership has that started or is that august or was it july july 1st that our new membership year began so awesome at, um at the beginning of that year we had a discount for those who were willing and ready to take advantage um this new membership year we're working on a lot of different um, continuing a lot of different benefits and trying to add new benefits in. Uh, we are continuing with our study groups, our uh, mentorships, and then um, just we're getting more access to different uh, scholarship opportunities, whether it's with conferences or just being able to provide people with some financial benefits that are being utilized towards the field of ABA. So we have a lot out and ready to go for those who become members. Uh, we have an ally advocate parent uh, tier two. So those are for those individuals who do not identify as Black or African American, but still work in or and or support and or have a child um, on the spectrum. So that membership is 
also available. Yeah, and we also have um, monthly newsletters that go out for those who just want to kind of gather some more information. And then we also do the town halls monthly. We just had one tonight before this episode. Um, and we utilize those town halls to give just quick updates to those who just kind of want to be updated into what we're doing. And if we have, for example, our conference submissions, we can go over some details surrounding that. Um, so we use the town hall to kind of go into detail, but also quick updates on just different things that we are utilizing. Our next town hall will be August 11th. Thank you. And speaking of conference, we just put out our call for papers a few weeks ago. So if you are interested in coming to our conference and presenting, um, you can visit babaconference.org. And if you're just interested in hearing more about the organization, you can go to babainfo.org. So we have two domains. So go check us out. So for coming together, Aaron uh, already put the cat out of the bag. Um, we had a totally different show planned. <laughs> And then Adrian and I spoke last night and we we're just like, you know what? Nah, let's do something else. Yeah, we, needed, we needed something different. We need to we needed to adjust something different. This topic is something that Denisha and I and Tiana and Aaron all think should be addressed in our field, given our current climate. So without further ado, tonight we're going to be talking about shifting from the temporary, I'm interested in the movement, to actually engaging with it and moving from engagement to sustainability. So like, how do we we sustain our um, activism, right? Our interest, at, at least, um, with being part of the movement, social justice work, or for some who are just even saying, hey, I want to understand more about diversity and inclusion, like at the very, very, you know, bottom of everything. So, um, yeah, Adrian, you want to give a little backstory about why you two thought this conversation was necessary? Yeah. So as BABA president and just being involved in BABA in general, We've had a lot of organizations reach out, organizations and individuals reach out. And one of the things that they reach out for is, hey, can you guys give me some conference speaker names? Can you guys tell me how I need to word this question? Can you guys tell me how my organization can do better in relations to diversity, equity, and inclusion within the field? And not, and I want to make it clear, for me as an individual, I'm not speaking on behalf of other BABA board members <laughs> that may be on this call. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I don't mind helping. However, there is baseline that we kind of want to get across to people that need to happen before you reach out. And what does that look like? Because we have full-time jobs, some of us have other volunteer, voluntary board member seats. Um, we have co-hosting on podcasts and we do our own podcast editing, um, coming to an end here soon. Uh, and just other things, you know, that we have to address so we can't always be available. So we wanted to just discuss how do we 
still allow for people to reach out, but not get free labor. That's like the the main part there too with the with the labor. I think one thing being on the board of Baba and especially serving in the partnerships capacity, we've had a lot of people reach out over the past few months, right? And one thing that people may not understand is that we are a nonprofit. We're all volunteers. None of us get paid for the work that we do. And so everything that we do from the start to the finish is labor. And of course, we volunteered and signed up to do it. Um, but like you were saying, Adrian, there's like the um, be necessary, not with just Baba. Like this conversation isn't even about Baba. It's about <laughs> showing up, needing needing to hear from Black folks, Black Indigenous Black Indigenous people of color um, or any any minority group, right? And and how do you show up without tokenizing folks, without um, expecting them to do the labor for you? Um, so I guess we can go right on into there. Like tonight we're going to talk about how to shift from like the temporary to the long term. But I think right now we can definitely go to the um, component of like, what is the baseline? Like, how do people approach uh, members from marginalized groups when they've had this, I guess, moment of awakening um, that is telling them that maybe you need to do more? Um, so, Tiana or Adrian, do y'all have like a few pointers, a baseline? What do people need before reaching out? Yeah. So, I think people need to see number one, what is out there in the field? So that search button or that control find button on your keyboard, utilize that, you know? Um, one of the things in the areas that I don't think people utilize is that control find button and social media. Because a lot of the things that you wanna know since June are all over social media. Um, thankfully to some individuals on this call <laughs> and putting that out there and letting people know that these are resources available. You know, the beautiful humans came out with a whole resource toolkit and a list of different resources. So Googling to see if there's anything out there first and utilizing that control find button. I would say not only um, utilizing like the control find and touching base with social media, but also touching base, like if you're a company, touch base with your staff, check in with your staff. Uh, if you're just a BCBA, you have RBTs, you have parents, just how are you doing? How is this feeling? Like try to get some natural conversation going about whatever the topic is at hand to just get that baseline and those viewpoints about that person and their experience. Because what is also happening is that Companies and individuals are going to one like if it's a if it's a black issue, they're going to a s small subset of black people that they know and utilizing that as what is supposed to be the response for everybody. Or if they only know one black individual, I'm going to go to this one black person and I'm going to use that as the response that everyone is feeling this way. When every individual on this planet has had a different experience in life and has met different contingencies, so you. So making sure you're all like you're going across all platforms as possible and knowing that, um, for instance, like Baba is not the the answer for everyone. Um, Beautiful Humans is not the answer for everyone. Uh, there are many um, resources out there and it should definitely start with those that you are most 
affected by or most affected by you? Yeah. So I'm hearing two things in that too. The first one, the first part that I heard was check on people first, like reaching out with a cold call of like, Hey, we probably suck. And with diversity, can you help us? One, you didn't even check to see, do we have the capacity for this? How are we doing during this time? Like just a, a natural, I'm, I'm concerned or I care about your state before going right on in with, hey, do this thing for me, right? And then the second is understanding that there are multiple ways to view this issue for individuals, right? And so like, well, people are going to have their own ways of looking at it. And so being able to broaden your exemplars, right? Like to be able to to get more information and not necessarily tokenize one person and have them be the spokesperson for their own group, which always is key. Adrian, you said something that really stuck out and it was, I think it was you, Adrian, but like free labor. And it's like, y'all have so many things that you're doing. And for me, it's like, if this, if you're saying, okay, this statement that you want to craft and you want help on the wording, how, how valuable is it for you to get that right? Are you willing to pay for it? Are you, you know, there are people out there that that is their actual job is to, to help organizations do that. If there's anything for me, at least that communicates how important that is, it's, you know, show it, show how important it is, how much you value that. Um, you know, there's, there's a, um, a trans woman, a writer, an activist by the name of um, Kaiton Chang. And, and she talks so much about like, just because there's something that happens uh, and you come to me and you want my statement or you want me to write something um, and even writing, you don't get, even get paid that much for, but it's, but it's because this is happening in my community. I then become the spokesperson and then I have to put in all this work. What if I just want to sit at home and eat my dinner? You know, what if I just, as she says, lasagna, like what if I just want to sit at home and eat my lasagna? I don't have to, I don't want to have to, I don't, there's no consent when it comes to that. So it's, to me, it comes down to value. Like how much do you value with that? Mm-hmm. And I love that you touch on that because that's something that I've had to learn in the last month and a half in which that Tiana and Denisha really try to help me out with. And I, yeah, may, not, I may or may not listen. Uh, <laughs> I'm listening better. However, um, the burden and that emotional toll and asking us, how are you doing and do you have the capacity to do this, right? There are some of us that will be truthfully honest and say, no, we don't have the capacity to do this. And then there's some people like me who'll be like, no, I don't have the capacity, but I want to help and helping trumps my my being. <laughs> um, however, I've had to learn over the month and a, the last month and a half or some change that I can't function on all cylinders if my emotional state is constantly getting bogged down. You know, one of the things that occurred in the month of June was, you know, everything that happened with the murders of Black individuals, but also for those of us that are in leadership roles within these different companies or um, within these different nonprofits or on these podcasts, such as Beautiful Humans and Shades of ABA, we didn't have the luxury to sit on our couches and eat our lasagna. You know, we didn't have the luxury to, I have my, my wine case right here to just like chug a whole bottle of wine 
we were on meetings, we had to, we have to make sure our staff are okay, our members are okay, our communities is okay, because we are in these positions and these leadership roles. So I would say that Trump's using control find is number one, like Tiana said, like check in on people because you never know what their day was like, but you are like, oh, I'm going to reach out to them because they're the only people that I know and they should be able to do this. You know, I just don't think I want people to assume without checking in. And so I think all that too goes back to what we want to know about the history of this country, the history of white supremacy, expecting Black people to do the labor, expecting that to just be um, the norm. Like there's a problem, y'all got to solve it. But then also the the internalization that happens because of that. Like why do I then feel that I have to be part of this solution? Why do I feel like when someone asks me something that I must do that? Why do I have to put others before me, before my own pleasure, before my own happiness, before my own schedule? And so, like, how do we take those messages from the majority and internalize that into where we're once again left with less of ourselves, less of, you know, the right mindset for ourselves, less of energy in our body and less less able to actually do the things that help you self-actualize as a person. If I am so caught up, if, if doing this kind of work is not my ministry, but I'm so caught up and you ask me as a black person, I should do it. When then do I, do you step in for yourself and follow what really matters for you? And so I think that's how we get left on this cog. And don't get me wrong, Adrian, we had this conversation when we were thinking about the show. Some of us do diversity and social justice work. That is what our assignment is. I think that all of us, so Ruby D is um, someone who is my soror, but also she's, she's an activist, but there's this powerful clip that we use in our space. And it's when uh, Harry Belafonte gathered um, all of the elders together. And this was after Jaisha Scott, a five-year-old, was uh, chained to a chair in school with, and police were called. She was handcuffed to a chair. Police were called. And they called her, they called the police because she was being unruly. So they arrested a five-year-old for being unruly. And so because of that, he gathered the elders. And so there's this clip. And Ruby D says, she says, we gather here together And often I leave without an assignment. I need an assignment. And with that being said, not all of us are assigned to social justice work in the same way. You have to find your assignment because people are coming and saying, hey, can you speak to this? Hey, can you create this PowerPoint? Hey, can you do this CEU? If that's not your assignment, don't feel as you have to put that labor on yourself. And so your assignment may be as simple as I'm going to be the hiring director that makes sure there are folks that look like me that get into these positions. Maybe that's your assignment. Maybe your assignment is, you know, doing training for 
individuals are creating protocols, like maybe that's your thing. And just whatever that is, find it, find it for yourself. Find it if that's part of the work that you want to do. And if you feel your assignment is to sit at home and eat lasagna, then maybe that's your assignment. If you feel like at some point your assignment shifts to, I want to make lasagna for the movement, then make lasagna for the movement. Dude, at the end of the day, the point is that do not feel pressured to be part of the movement in a way that's disingenuous to you. And I think that when people go through these notions of like signing up all the black folks to talk about this, to address this, then there is that pressure that you talked about, Adrian, the pressure to say yes. Yeah. And, and it's because for me, it comes from a good place, you know, um, because everyone in our field, not everyone, hold on, let me rephrase that. Because some people in our field want to do better and they have this urgency. You know, I was on a call with um, this Arizona ABA state associations and they, their state association is made up of majority younger people. And so the three lovely ladies that I was on the call with, um, they have such urgency that they want to do things now. And I think that those who want to change and recognize that there needs to be change, they want to change it right now. So they're reaching out and they're doing all of these things, which is great. However, change happens over time. And there are some organizations that have been doing the behind the scenes work on this within our field way before, you know, June happened. So I think also recognizing that yes, we want this urgency. However, if you really understand what's really going on in our field, you would be able to know that it's not gonna get changed in the 30 days. There are systemic issues that we have that take time to change. And then you also have to look at organizational leaders. Are you changing performatively? Or are you really looking to embed this as a philosophy and your mission within your organization? So I've, I've been doing some, some reading on um, whiteness as property. And one of the things that I've learned is that like whiteness as property is not just tangible property like a house or my possessions, but it's also my expectations. And it's what I expect of others and how quickly I expect things to change or the information that I expect others to give to me or the ease I expect to have like the lack of work that I have to put in. And so I think that what we're seeing is a lot of that. And I am, you know, have to learn that. And it's just sitting back and and thinking like, oh, this is how this shows up and and recognizing that and moving forward. Um but it is, it's like that property is not just my house, it's not my car. It's everything that I expect the world to give me without me having to work for it, you know? Yeah, I love that. And that's kind of like, um, so I think with individuals that come, one, recognizing everything that you just said, Aaron, like, I, I want this at this moment without having to work for it. But then also think about what's behind the notion that, Hey, like, I know this has been going on for 400 years, but like right now it's like June, 2020. 
and I just had an epiphany. And so now is the time that you, because I said so, need to really do some work and help me solve this issue. But I know y'all were talking about it two months ago and 200 years ago, but because it's like my turn now, you do what I need to do right now. And so like, no. And how does that also just feed back into the larger issue, right? So another thing then I would say for individuals who are coming to, you know, make no mistake, at some point there's there's coalition building that needs to happen, right? But the point is not to say that you have no right to want a coalition build. If, if you're going to do this and be sustainable, then you likely w- will coalition build with individuals, with organizations. So there's a way that you do that. I think one of the most telling components of individuals who are doing this to check off a box is their flexibility in the whole thing. How many times have we gotten folks that have reached out and you're like, hey, we have jobs during the day. So can you meet with us on the weekend? Or what about after five? And they're like, oh, no. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to only meet Monday through Friday, nine to five. Oh, because you're getting paid for this. Your job has tasked you to reach out and you won't do it on your free time. But once again, our labor is expected when you're free. So I have to take off of work. These meetings cost us money, you know, and I like I want to make that very clear, too. And that's something that Adrian I had to talk to about with you because we're not setting up meetings for everyone, because when you do that, I'm not working. And that's what I want to make clear is that a lot of these meetings that happen are happening during our nine to five, <laughs> you know, and don't get me wrong. We, we understand. And sometimes I might have my Fridays are a lot more open than my Mondays and Tuesdays, but I've adjusted how I even work around what has been happening in the field. And um, I know Tiana can definitely speak to that too. Yeah, no, I agree. And it is one of the most, excuse me, most frustrating pieces is that, you know, we're again being put in these predicaments of other people's time and being on like what they expect to be done. But at the same time, in my head, I'm just like, what responsibility or what are you, what self-reflection are you doing before you even come to this? Cause we've had a meeting where, um, we were reached out to, okay? There was no agenda. There was no, like, <laughs> there was no agenda created. There was no, um, it was a lot of, well, how are you doing this? And what are you doing for this? And it just felt like they were just kind of trying to piece together what we're doing so that they can then use it within their own organization. But when we were then looking at, okay, so what can, what is it that you want from us and how can, but how can we benefit? Because now we are in this place where you're again wanting free labor. You're again wanting these resources where you are not taking any initiative to figure out on your own. But then it came out that, oh no, we don't, there's nothing for us to give you. We, we have nothing for you, but to take, take, take. And it was just like, oh, okay, this is a really sad norm a very, very sad and frustrating norm. And I guess it, it just begs to the question of, we are constantly putting these situations where we are made to feel like 
We have to provide these resources. We have to jump when someone says jump to make, to fix the problem. It's not our problem to fix. You know, like we are not the ones who created the problem. We are the ones that the problem are definitely affecting. And so how do we, how does the universe, how does the world, how does society come from that? Like how, how are we to, as anyone who's affected by any issue, how do those that are affected come from a place of let me let me do so because you said so and let me fix this problem because if I don't fix it, you're definitely not going to fix it to putting it in the hands of those who are causing the problem. How do we do that? I think another question to ask is how do we, which is, you know, how we kind of came up with this topic is how do we move from a, a minute to a movement to a revolution and allowing people to properly come prepared? You know, um, that meeting that Tiana's talking about almost felt disrespectful in a sense. You know, Aaron, it was, it, it was disrespectful. Yes, it was, it was disrespectful of our time. And like us as a, a people and us as an organization, because had I been a white male in this field or one of these other established organizations, you're going to come correct. But you look at us like, oh, they're just some fresh VCBAs, some people we never heard of. And, you know, they should tell us what they need from us. No, you reached out to us. You wanted a meeting from us. We don't got to tell you what we need from you or we would have reached out if we needed anything from you. And we didn't. So with that being said, what do you want from us? And so when you sit up there and you come with nothing, oh, I just wanted to hear about maybe how you need our assistance. We've had so many people like, oh, we didn't really want have any ideas. We just wanted to know what you needed from us. Well, that's not coming prepared. That's not doing your homework. You know, the least you can do is say, I want to cover a conference sponsorship. <laughs> like that's a public information, you know, but. Yeah, it's almost like there's like, you should be grateful that we're coming to you and, and giving you our time so we can fix a problem that we solved or that we created in the first place, you know, or that we're a part of. Um, but I think that that's the, the part that is what I'm hearing is like, there's this level that you all should be grateful because they're giving up part of their time to make this important with air quotes. (laughs) Spaces are created and organizations are created because there is a deficit. So for someone, if you're coming at it, like they should be grateful that our pristine organization is reaching out to them, then you need to rethink your whole thought process. Because if, Again, if this space was properly created and this wasn't an issue, we wouldn't feel like we we have to create our own tables to even have that seat, you know? Yeah. So I want to like, I want to go ahead and kind of backtrack again to kind of, you know, put this on a checklist for people that might be getting lost in conversation. So go ahead and um, make it clear that I hear from everything that's been said. Number one, do a self-assessment. Why am I reaching out? 
in the first place? Like, what are, what's the goal of this conversation? If you haven't done that assessment for yourself, for your organization, you're not ready for a reach out. Number one, um, attempt an answer. Like if you are coming to us like, Hey, you know, can you help me word this thing? Attempt an answer. That doesn't mean that you're right, but don't come to a meeting that has been called with nothing um, to show for and then come with a plan. Like this, it would be a two-way street. Like don't just, Hey, you can, you know, we just kind of want to see what you can tell us about this. No, come for, come with a full plan and allow individuals to say, yeah, that works for me. Or actually, no, let's, let's do this idea. But um, the whole notion of, you know, setting meetings or reaching out to, to folks from marginalized groups and expecting them to do the work. Like to me, that also, it goes back to one capitalism is rooted and steeped in capitalism. I'm going to do the least amount of work for the best outcome. That's matching law number one. Like I already know I don't have to do anything. I'm going to just call this meeting and I'm going to make you do all the work because you as a person that's lesser on the scale than me are going to work for me. And so these small discrete behaviors like, and that's what really it comes back down to is the deciding in the moment, am I going to reinforce this larger issue? That's you are reinforcing what we already know from the two systems that disproportionately impact black folks. Right. So one, you saying like, hey, y'all do all the work and I just come here because I have a name and that's enough, but I won't do anything from there. Very capitalistic and it's free labor. And like we already talked. And I think, Aaron, when we were getting ready for this show, you you reminded me of uh, Channing Tatum's work. and so not Channing Tatum. Oh Lord. Oh. <laughs> That's amazing. Austin Channing. Austin Channing. I am not thinking about Magic Mike right now. That's not happening. Wow. <laughs> Definitely are thinking about Magic Mike right now. <laughs> All up on that stage without that shirt on. That's hilarious. Oh my goodness. Austin Shannon. Okay, Aaron, do you want to do you want to uh, tell us about oh, God. the conversation? Let me regroup here. That was that's funny. Yeah, yeah so um uh Austin Shannon Brown is a phenomenal author um for one thing and if you don't have her book called I'm Still Here, um you need to get it, you need to listen to it, read it, whatever. Um but there was a part uh that I I remember listening to her. She was talking about the emotional labor. Um, And I mean, it's in the first chapter. I don't know. It was kind of long. I thought it was just like a paragraph. And I was like, oh, I could probably just read it. And then, um, but it ended up being a little bit longer than I thought it was. But it it really just talks um, about how exhausting it is. You know, and I think what the thing that's being left out of the conversation that we're having here is the underlying stress that minorities are subject to all day long. And so when you, when you put that on the table and then you start to add on all of the other stuff that people are expecting of you, um, it's, it's the word exhausting. I don't even know if that, you know, if that does it justice, you know, um, but in in terms of, I, I think it was 
and the I think too is like the danger. There was a part in there where she talks about that it's dangerous to to be that person that that is informing everybody else because then you are now subject to the criticism that they have, and now you've opened yourself up to being criticized about your blackness by white people when they're the ones that are wanting to be. Um, you know, it's, so it's like you all potentially going into these meetings and you're saying, well, this is what we need. And then people criticizing that. I don't know if that's ever happened. It's happened with me and gender related stuff before. I don't know. That definitely happens where, and I think part of it is because individual, instead of people accepting the fact of what is needed, they then internalize it and take it, make it personal and just kind of start. I, I feel like people then start thinking, well, I don't do this. So why is this needed? And it's about it in turn becomes about them rather than like the, the whole bigger picture as to what what is actually happening. And they're trying to um, generalize or just make or just make the entire situation um, lesser than because now they're taking it personal. Now they feel some kind of way. And we should feel bad because now they feel bad. Navigating the guilt, putting it on you. That also being part of the labor too, right? Um, yeah. And I, and I think, and I've said it on the show before, is like when we have to um, think about ourselves and our way of being in relation to whiteness, that's part, that's white supremacy. When my ex- entire being has to rest upon and predicate itself upon how you feel about me, or I need to be in the presence of you. Like that's the tax. That's the the black tax. And so, um, I I do like uh, Austin Channing. <laughs> Austin Channing Brown's work. I read it last year. Um, I I think getting the experiences um, from folks in her book, she talked a lot about being the only black woman in spaces right and what that meant and especially the labor that was put on there because you're you have to there's a a notion that you have to show up in a way that doesn't offend others your blackness doesn't offend other people but then you have to be the spokesperson that like tiana was talking about and how there's no there's no room for you in those spaces you can't open up yourself to you know your own ideologies your own thought processes processes um because you're so connected and worried about who am i in the space of whiteness in in one part of the book she actually talks about an employer who um who came as like a almost like a confidence like if anything happens like come to me and let me know and we'll talk it out and we'll resolve the issue and so she did and in that moment it was like well i'm sure that's what not what that person was meaning or something like that or you're just being too sensitive or something so it's like setting up the space and then crushing it all in the same the same moment you know it's just i, I don't know it's um but seriously read the book not by chating channing what is it channing tatum <laughs> i've never seen magic mike you know so like, but it was a good movie <laughs> i think another thing that comes from that um something you said denisha is also realizing that this is a spectrum you know um where you might have some people on the spectrum excuse me who don't mind helping who don't mind meeting and i like i'm semi one of those people i'm like more so in the middle now um and then you have another end of the spectrum where you're you have people that are like 
if you don't do your homework before you even hit send on that email, you're not even getting a reply. <laughs> but, yeah. Denisha, that is you. <laughs> right. Tiana, no shame. I'm, I'm closer to that. I, I'm, I'm in between you and Denisha. Yes. Tiana will reply. Denisha will not. <laughs> um, however, I think how do we encourage people to figure out where people fall on that spectrum, you know, um, without offending or without burdening or anything like that? So how do you think people should figure that out? People should take the initiative initially to do some research and to try to problem solve before they're reaching out to people. Um, and just out of the respect of effort, because now you're also asking me to put an effort that you indeed did not find necessary to do. Um, and I think that's just, a, that's for me personally, that should be within life in general, it, not just with these um, social um, issues that we are dealing with in today's time, but just generally speaking, people should practice doing some behind the scenes before they decide that they want to take time from somebody else. I think the point too, though, is like, even though there are people who don't mind doing the work, should you have to do the work? Like, and to me, it's not about if I'm going to, once again, going back to capitalism, right? There's always going to be people, unfortunately, due to certain situations that will take the lesser, right? Or that will do more, for less of a payback because that's what they've been taught um, is part of their worth. And so, and not to say that's where you're coming from, Adrian, but still, I think that there is a responsibility of individuals who one hope privilege to, to not be like, oh, well, you know, as long as they'll let me work them, it's fine. But the ones who won't, okay, then I'll do my due diligence. Like, no, respect should go across the board. Um, and so... <laughs> I don't think that people have to identify who, who or who. I think it should be, I respect that, one, I see the context, the contextual variables that are present here. Like I'm coming to you as a, as a member of um, a group that holds privilege and I am doing something, even reaching out to you as labor. <laughs> Your emails are bogged down, I already know. So like when I send this email, how do I then not add more to your plate when I know that there are other systemic things going on. So not to say that it's one size fits all, but what we know from data is likely that, you know, you're doing labor and you're getting paid less work for it. So then I come here and I'm like, hey, I'm going to give you no money for your labor, but because you're willing, like, okay, that's fine. So I don't, I, to me, I feel like it's about, you know, really being aware of who you are in this situation. Um, thinking about those contextual um, differences and then moving from there to where you're not, you're not perpetuating the very same issue that you claim that you're trying to help solve. And at any point, it's like, if you want to help solve some stuff, you're going to have to walk the walk. Like it's not going to come down to a, a meeting that you held or a group that you connected with. It's going to be about, okay, so what are you doing on term uh, for long term? And, and that's really to what it's about what this uh, conversation is about. And for me, I'm like, if you as an individual organization are only thinking to reach out to black indigenous people of color when there is diversity on the table, 
there's there's your bingo card right there that it's time to take a pause because that shouldn't be the only time that you're thinking about reaching out to somebody from a marginalized group. Um, and so I guess that too gets us to like kind of the conversation we were having too, uh, Adrian was about like the folks who don't mind and like people who who do tap black folks for diversity uh, topics or, you know, asking folks to join leadership so they they could talk about it. And I, I think for me, like once again, there are people who do the work, um, but the only time that you see black people or black indigenous people of color in leadership, it shouldn't be in a diversity role. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Some of us want diversity roles. Some of us want social justice roles, but some of us don't. And don't tell us minorities that the only way to leadership is to do token, like tokenized work. And unfortunately, when we're talking about reinforcement, like an SD, like what's signaling that reinforcement is available? Oh, diversity leaders. So I have to take this. That's the only, if I want leadership, the only way that I can do that is to go be your standard go-to black girl in the organization. And one thing I got to say to like our community members, please don't let folks do that to you. If that's not your ministry, don't let people do that to you. Like, oh, we here we have you know, the world is going up, well, it's been going up in flames, but the flames just engulfed even higher in June. And so I haven't thought about you in any type of leadership capacity, but now all of a sudden I'm calling you and I'm saying, hey, I think you're the person for the job that you can finally come sit in boardrooms. It's one, just for lack of better terms, disrespectful, <laughs> like, you know, um, but it doesn't help the change because imagine a person who has been wanting to be in leadership. Maybe they want to do toilet training. Maybe that's what they want to do. Maybe they want to do verbal behavior. And you say, the only thing that I have for you is diversity. So like, all right, okay, I have to do it. And then are they competent to do it? Do they have the passion to do it? Is it going to be done right? And then the problem with when we put whiteness as the marker is you don't even know when it's done wrong. Like you, they don't like you, you don't even have a clue if the person is legitimate because you think that the only way for you to know is based on their the color of their skin. They like it doesn't, that's not what it's about. Like, you know, and so don't make don't force people to have to take up spaces because that's the only opportunity you give to them to grow. Yes, yes, and more yeses, Denisha. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that we're discussing is how to properly come to the table. I want people to potentially maybe, let me not volunteer this up. Um, some people need to look at what Arizona ABA is doing. They did their behind the scenes stuff. They did their homework they came so very correct and just kind of wanted us to listen and and listen. They asked nothing from us. It was literally a meeting of me listening. And all they asked for was our ears. However, I was perfectly fine with giving my ears and not having to give my brain and my thought and to tell them like, nope, you need to do it like this or have you thought about this way or anything like that. They came with so many different like, this is what we did. This is what we're doing moving forward. Here's our long-term plan. Here's this, here's that, here's that, here's that. They're the first organization to come forward like that in the last like year, right? Of people reaching out to us. Um, so really look at Arizona ABA um, and what they're doing because they're, they're coming correct and they're, and they're doing the homework. 
Um, I also think I like the point that you touched on of if this is not your ministry, don't do it because you feel that pressure. And I think that's something that I struggle with as Bob, a president and co-host. And also I'm interested in diversity and equity and inclusion issues, but recognize that it's not my forte. You know, I'm more so like, you want to talk to me about supervision, not a problem. You want to talk to me about, you know, problem behavior, toileting, like that clinical stuff. That's my jam, you know? Um, but all the conference talks, are like, oh, can you come talk to us about diversity and inclusion? And I was like, I can give you a list of people. Or like, here's a talk that I have done in the realm of that. So I can do that. And you know what's funny is like, if you're really talking what true diversity inclusion is, that is the furthest thing away from that. Like, I can't, I, I don't, maybe that's all I need to say. <laughs> it's frustrating. I get so frustrated with that. And, and don't get it twisted. I'm not like, I, I still don't want to come to your conference and see an all white panel on diversity and inclusion. Cause I mean, <laughs> that's, that's not also what we're saying. One, the, the drive away is that, or the takeaway is that, yeah, there are people that do the work and there are people like Adrian who want to be tapped for their actual areas, their scopes of competence, their areas of interest, and are not known as the go-tos. If you're only like, I can't, the past few months have just been very interesting. And it's like, when we have folks that are taking up spaces and you're like, hey, can you come do a diversity talk? And it's like, we just want you to give your experiences and don't get me wrong. There is so much place, space, and opportunity for us to give our experiences. But that also to me tells me that people have not done their homework. You think there, that there is nothing to be taught other than just listen to me tell you about my experience. And that is not going to really buck the system um, is to just sit around. And I, I have this, I have this thing, like, I do think that there is place and space for us to tell our stories, but I have this thing about individuals that are not from your group coming to places and just saying, oh, okay, let us hear about how your life has been hard, right? And make me feel sad for a second because my life hasn't been that hard. And we're intentional in this space too, Aaron, we talked about it is like, don't just talk about black pain, like talk about black joy. Like if you're going to say black lives matter, like you, I need you to be about that because me showing up to spaces and saying, oh, let me tell you about my trauma. You know about my trauma. You've been part of my trauma and you want to just hear the story so you can sit in your guilt for a second, you know, and you get to say, I did my part, leave, and then continue to do the exact same things that you were doing before. That's not enough. So yeah, can we shift? We've talked a lot about how do we make this sustainable? Can we shift to actually giving a few points? We've given a lot of pointers tonight, but like, how does one person shift from I'm temporarily interested in doing better to this is now my life? Like, I'm going to sustain this interest that I have. I will say real fast because I've seen a decline and I want to define like what those what that well, like what those behaviors look like. Like, what are we looking to sustain? Because it's been like Denisha's taught me about rapid response and it's like pushing stuff out constantly. That to me is not sustainable. So like I think it's not like how do you sustain everything that we've been doing for the past month? It's not necessarily like that level and at that rate. But what specifically are we going to sustain to and how do we do it? I think number one, choosing that, what you just said, Aaron, like what areas 
are we actually going to sustain and writing down a list? Is it trainings? Is it leadership roles? Is it conference speaker sessions? You know, you have to figure out as an individual what path that you are most connected with that you want to change, number one. Then number two, um, making sure that if you actually value this, do your actions line up with your values? Um, and then when you're looking at, okay, I want to look change the makeup of the BCBAs that I'm hiring, right? Asking yourself, why am I not hiring more minority BCBAs or, you know, BCBAs who um, have a different sexuality orientation or geographical location or religion or whatever. And then once you figure out the why, then looking at your task analysis of how do I then change that? So I think there's, there's different components that someone needs to think about. Number one, first, what path you want to take? Are your values lining up with your actions and then creating the task analysis from there? And I agree with those three points, but I think the, the number one thing that individuals and companies need to do is first really assess, am I doing this because of the moment or am I actually interested in wanting to see a change? Because if it's for the moment, there is no sustainability. If it's, if you really want to see a change and you really feel that there are some injustices that are being done across the board, across um, all spans of individuals, then then yes, you can sustain. Yes, changes can be made, and then we can go through the other three points that Adrian has um, pointed out. But first, it is: is this just because it looks good, or because it needs to happen? Yeah. And so, Aaron, you brought up the fact that, you know, I've, I've taught about rapid responding. And I do want to say, right, like all those different components that and, and I've said it before, too, on the show, like that initial interest, that initial I'm a, the awakening, like that does have the potential to truly, ra truly radicalize folks and to get them in touch with a value like you mentioned, Adrian. But like from there, if it, if you've identified that value, right, that is your own verbal motivating operation. Now it's time for you to actually, you know, put that into practice. But an example of like taking it from a moment to a movement, I'll go back to, when, you know, uh, Justice League when we were um, rapid responding for Eric Garner in New York. The ask from the very beginning was to fire the officers who engaged in the illegal chokehold. It took five years, five years. So rapid responding allowed folks to come to the center, to the epicenter in Long Island where people were, you know, rallying. It allowed for there to be smaller changes. It allowed for there to be spaces of more police officers who were coming out and saying, we need to be held accountable. And so I think that when we're thinking about creating behavior intervention plans, right? Like if you're, think about it like a, a, a shaping procedure, like what's the terminal goal here? Yes, there are smaller things that you have to knock off of the checklist, but it, is going to require sustainability. Can you imagine if we said, let's go home, y'all? Like, it's been long enough. We've been here. And just think about the movement right now. Like, my my Justice family members, the Louisville 87, they were just arrested last week. They're not leaving. This is when you go from the moment to being part of the movement to sustaining. Will you be there? Like, will you still be there? If you, if you activate in a different place in a space. So, for example, our organization is still 
working with Eric Garner's mom. Years later, we'll still be in contact with Brianna Taylor's parent, her mother. So like, you know, and, but that, but what does that look like for us on an individual basis? That means it's very similar. Like right now I'm enacting behaviors for this, for this moment of time. But when I look back five years later, there's going to be some continuity between the actions that I, that I chose today. Right. And so I think that happens when you make it part of your practices, when you make it part of your daily, weekly, monthly practices, what do you need to put, you know, as a part of your schedule, if we're talking about like behavioral principles, what antecedent strategies do you need to set up? Do I need to schedule this in? Do you need to use timers like you use with your learners? Like, you know, how much time am I going to spend with this? When am I going to schedule in time for this? Aaron, since I met you, we've had candid discussions about learning and like still constantly you're like, and I'm going to pick up this book next and I'm going to read this. Like, how are how are you scheduling this in and making this a part of your life? And then part of that is going to be an ongoing assessment, an ongoing assessment of, of yourself, where you are in this movement, where you are in your progression. You have to be able to check in with yourself because that's how you're going to say, am I do is am I still doing this? Because if no one else was watching, this still is important to me. If no one gave me accolades for this, is this still going to? Is, is this still going to be what I want to do? If no one ever invited me to talk about this, will I still talk about it till I'm blue in the face? If those answers are no, you are likely performing. Well, you are, you're probably contacting a, a different type of reinforcement and that's not what values are about, right? The values say, I'm going to, this is something that I'm doing for me. And so allowing yourself to be able to contact reinforcement in different ways for yourself, like, whatever goals that you set up, that's going to get you closer to your value. If you're saying that I value justice, then what goals are you setting for yourself in order to get there? And that's how I'm contacting reinforcement. It's going to be me reading this book for, I'm going to use you again as an example, Aaron, you reading, you know, Austin Channon Brown's book or picking up, you know, um, Morgan Jenkins work uh, um, and reading this will be mine doing like whatever it is like you are doing that and that's how you're contacting reinforcement and like also just considering once again like how you are perpetuating ongoing systems like who's part of this room physically who's part of this room linguistically verbally like am I is this a brave space a safe space for individuals and that is that because of the and the actions that I am taking too. So I think you, you have to set this as part of who, what you do. I want to say who you are. Yes. I always say like, this is who I am, but who I am is what I do as well. So it needs to show up like that. Cause a plan without a, wait, what is it? A goal without a plan is just a wish. So like, you know, a be- like, I don't know, behavior intervention without a behavior plan. Like, as behavior analysts, would we do that? Maybe some of us would, but <laughs> I don't know. You're not supposed to. <laughs> and I think it's important to like, I think what people are expecting of themselves are almost what they, they think that we, and I say we as in like, more like a movement expect of them or to be out there protesting constantly or be like full force activist mode all the time. And that's, for me, that's not sustainable, right? Um, for some people, that is their life's work. And like you're saying, find your ministry. Like for some people, that is theirs. For me, the sustainability comes from 
doing my own work and making sure that I am viewing the world through this lens that sees those structures and those systems and that can call those out when I do see them. It's not some big over the top movement. I'm not like writing a book. I'm not, you know, doing this massive call to action. For me, it's those day-to-day moments and making sure that I can pick those up um, and pick those out whenever it happens and talking to my kids about that. I see even people now it's like, okay, social media has like faded off and there are still people that are out there sharing stuff constantly. And those are the people who um, I feel like they're, they're here to stay. Right. Uh, Several friends of mine. Um, But it's like, what is your, what is your, what is your goal? Like you're saying, you know, what, what, what role do you want to play in this? I think that's so key though. Really like, think about what your role is. Everyone's role is not street activism. And and sometimes your role is street activism. And then other times it's, you know, doing political work. I, and I'm speaking, that's for myself. Like there are going to be ways that you show up for the movement and figuring out what those things are for yourself um, and not allowing that. They don't have to be shaped by other people. Just because you see someone else doing a street activism does not mean that's what you are tasked to do. And so you know, listen to yourself, listen to your own interests and, and, and figure those things out too. Like I say values are really shaped by, you know, well, you can find your values by thinking about the things that make you mad, sad, you know, and like, there's something to be told in that there, like, it's upsetting you because probably you care about it. And if that's something that you care about, then, then, how do you want to help it? Like whatever that thing is, like just figure it out for yourself and don't let that rest in anyone else's work. I think it's important to always to do something and to do like, we all have different bandwidths at different times. And I think to do the most you can when you can. And so like Denisha, I didn't do any work with you for like the past month. You barely heard from me. My kids were down here. I was like all hands on deck, but you better damn well believe I was having conversations with them that we were talking about those things that And that's what I can do in that moment that we were reading books about racism, whatever it was that we were having conversations. Um, We were listening to audiobooks about black people like in the car there, you know, there there's always something that you can do. It just sometimes it varies. And I think, Aaron, you touch on a really good thing is that that day to day stuff. I was literally just talking to my partner today and he had experienced something at the golf course and it caught him off guard and he didn't address it. And so those day-to-day opportunities of addressing things is another way that you can have that sustainability and that revolutionary phase that we're kind of talking about that this really needs to be. Um, And so I had to talk with my partner and was like, listen, you missing that opportunity to address that racist comment is just going to perpetuate that people think it's okay to make these decisions, right? Whereas because it caught you off guard and you didn't know what to say in the moment, you know, it kind of perpetuates that. However, some of these comments and some of these day-to-day things that happen do catch us off guard and we're like, oh shit, like what's what's happening here? Um, So I think it's also for our listeners to recognize that 
it's okay to make mistakes on the day to day and to make that be your evolutionary um, thing that you're working on and to not be in those spaces like Venetia, you were saying it's okay if you're not the ones putting on these CEUs and, you know, doing all this stuff in the field and you're more so doing some behind the scenes work that might not get a large audience. And that's okay because sometimes the behind the scene work is more important than the work that gets put out there. And and to the point about like you're saying those moments that catch you off guard, I think it's recognizing was it a choice for you to be silent or were you truly taken like aback and you're like, I don't know what to say right now. Both of those are learning opportunities, but one isn't one is a, a outright choice of comfort versus discomfort. The other is more of like a, okay, I'm going to be ready next time. This is what I'm going to say. And, you know, um, versus I think it's how you deal with those. It's uh, the silence is, is the choice of that silence is sometimes more damaging. And I want to say this too. If you're part of a marginalized group, we've had every last one of us, I will just assume has had moments just like that, right? That's your partner experience where it's like, Hold on, wait, that ain't right. Or like you think back and I'm like, maybe I should have said or did something. And one of the key components of that, if we're thinking about function-based, like what, what are the reasons that an individual might not say anything if they're part of a marginalized group? It could be a safety issue, you know, loss of, you know, potential reinforcers. So, you know, obviously we've experienced punishment by speaking up. And so... If you're part of a marginalized group, I always like to give place and space for grace because it's definitely not on us to always have to call everything out in the moment. And some of us don't mind doing it, but then sometimes you just want to play golf, right? Like you didn't come here, you didn't ask for this and you trying to go, I I know nothing about golfing, but I, I currently have someone in my life who likes to golf. So I think he said it was like... I don't know. Something about a tea. Whatever. You just want to get on your tea time and get out on the course. Trust me. My partner is like an avid golfer. So like they can probably talk if this person stays. <laughs> if they stay around when we come to Detroit. No, I'm joking. Um, so yeah, so you just want to go out there and putt around or do your little tea time or whatever it is. And so Side note, I actually used to play golf for a team, y'all. I sucked. I got kicked off. So that tells you a lot that I don't know anything about golf. Um, So, yeah, if you are part of a marginalized group, like give yourself grace for that. You don't have to speak up for every single thing. But I hope what happens that you um, are able to come into your power and call it out when you start to see things. And I think that is an evolutionary process. It's in itself for minority groups to get to that point where, all right, forget it. Like, I'm going to risk the consequence like you know that goes back to the conversations that Aaron and I had when we started this podcast we did this knowing that there were consequences that were present like we came in this saying all right so this sits us down we have to be okay with that and so like I hope that for individuals who are not at a place in this space, and even when you do get to a place where you're like I'm gonna go ahead and suffer the consequences sometimes you still don't feel like today is the moment or right now is the moment for you to call out everything so I just wanted to 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 put that in the space. But if you are not and you hold privilege, you don't have a choice. I'm sorry. Like that is that is your duty in that moment. So a hundred percently agree. Like that's your job. Because <laughs> sometimes I just want to play golf. I never want to play golf, but 
However, <laughs> I actually exactly. think that would be one of the, like most boring sports to play. But. <laughs> <laughs> I think this has been uh, a good show. Um, we like to give our listeners homework before the end of a show. And so sometimes with our guests, we like to offer them uh, some time. Is there any homework that you would like for our listeners to engage in based on this conversation? I would say do the self-assessment that we were talking about and then ask yourself the why. I think that like the self-assessment and the why before reaching out to people in marginalized groups to request for help or request for assistance or anything, make sure you know your why and that you've done a self-assessment first. And then that'll help guide um, some important aspects in that meeting or what it is you're actually asking for. In addition to um, those self-assessments, come into contact and talk with the people that's around you um, and get comfortable having the conversation because it's easy for people to go to somebody that they don't know to ask for feedback and to get um, and to have these conversations because then it's like, okay, if I have it, this conversation and it doesn't go the way that I want it to, then I don't know them. I don't have to see them. I don't have to deal with it, but go to the person, the people that you do know and be open to the, their perspectives and their experiences and practice that too, so that you can have a better understanding because we're all in contact with someone who has had an experience and in life that we may not have had. It's also healthy. It's good to be able to do such a thing and get comfortable with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, we talked about earlier, like making sure that there is some pre-assessment of like, how are you doing? Because everyone ain't going to want to have that conversation with you. And I think it also comes down to if, if you are sustaining this, then people won't mind having those conversations with you. If you've not done the work, you probably aren't getting any getting anything much from folks. I, I know for and that's just a me thing, too. Like, I'm not spending my time giving more labor to folks who haven't done nothing for that. But if you've been able to establish that this is part of your life, your practices, then those conversations come easier. That person is able to then trust you. Um, There's more than just talking about, you know, facts or um, data. It's about the data that represents our real life and, and, the, and that's personal. And so being able to hold, hold these conversations uh, requires a level of uh, transparency and vulnerability that maybe you didn't earn just yet. And so um, continue to do that work before broaching those conversations too. Cause um, imagine someone saying with all their hostility, well, you know, you're supposed to talk to me about this because it impacts you. And that's just probably not enough to start a combo. But I think those are both great um, homework assignments for individuals. And this one is just for Baba. If you are interested in tapping into Baba in any way, I say the f- some homework is to uh, go to the next town hall on August 11th. Right. Either that or visit our website because <laughs> a lot of that baseline information is there. 
There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning into the show and being beautiful humans with us. Tune in for the next one. It's Denisha and Aaron. I just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking about doing a podcast, there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Yeah, you know, uh, we probably would have never gotten the show off the ground if it wasn't for a pretty easy podcast. So pretty easy podcast helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. Record from your home or your office or at the park. Pretty Easy Podcast caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. So if you have an idea for a show and you need someone to rely on to help you get it done, go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. You know you want to do it, so go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm -hmm.